Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. Today we resume our weekly Doctor Who adventure as we discuss the first story of Patrick Troughton's era, The Power of the Daleks. We will be discussing the Doctor, the companions, the villains, and giving our thoughts and score out of five for the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on this story. To join on the discussion, you can check us out at Time Teamp, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteamp at teamproductions.com. Now though, over to Paddington for our story recap. Thank you very much. Episode 1. Ben and Polly stare on in shock at the recently transformed Doctor. Ben is uncertain if he even is the Doctor, and Polly reminds him of what he had said earlier about his old body wearing a bit thin. Suddenly, the Doctor comes to in a daze and moans in pain as he's in the midst of a complete sensory overload. His swirling vision and pounding eardrums eventually return to their normal function, and with a mischievous chuckle, he delightedly says, It's over. He makes his way to the TARDIS console and puts it into flight as Ben and Polly continue to stare on in confusion. The Doctor continues to examine the musculature of his new face, and it becomes evident that it's not just his face that has changed, but his whole body as well, due to his clothes no longer fitting and his signature ring slipping from his finger to the floor. Ben comments that he doesn't even act like the Doctor that they knew either. He and Polly go and address the new Doctor, who is currently rifling through a nearby chest. He hands Ben an ornate mirror so he can view his new reflection. He momentarily sees his old face before continuing to examine his new features, and then goes back to rifling through the chest and examines trinkets and souvenirs from his previous travels, including a metal that causes him to say extermination, and continues to aggravate Ben with his cryptic responses to his and Bolly's questions. Ben attempts to put the ring back on the doctor's finger to prove that he is an imposter, and the doctor responds with an analogy for a butterfly trying to get back into its chrysalis. He says that he has been renewed and inquires about his previous self's diary. As he searches for it, he comes across a recorder and plays and dances a hearty jig before locating the diary. He then says that they should go out for a walk now that they have landed, but Ben says he hasn't checked the external sensor readings. The doctor replies that he has and refers to Ben by his name, which Polly uses as proof that he is the doctor. Outside, the doctor reads his diary as he walks through the surrounding area. The planet's surface is covered in smoking mercury hot springs, which the Doctor easily avoids while continuing to read the diary. He begins testing his new body's capabilities by leapfrogging over some rocks when he suddenly hears a voice calling out. He hides behind a rock and sees a man in an engineering suit approach. He goes out to meet the man, who introduces himself as an examiner, but he is suddenly shot by an unseen assailant. The Doctor looks around for the culprit but sees no one. He bends down to examine the dead stranger's body and he sees a a badge attached to him. The badge are the credentials of an examiner from Earth who is to be given full access to all locations on the planet Vulcan. Unbeknownst to the Doctor, the mysterious assailant, who appears to be wearing some sort of hazmat suit, approaches him from behind, but he is scared off when he hears Ben and Polly calling out. The two companions observe the surroundings as they search for the Doctor, with Ben telling Polly to be careful of the harmful effects of the mercury. However, the warning is in vain as the heavy concentration of quicksilver fumes begins to render Polly unconscious. Ben calls out to the Doctor before he too begins to feel the effects. The Doctor, preparing to aid his companions, is struck from behind by the mysterious assailant and knocked unconscious. The assailant then leaves something in the Doctor's hand before leaving. The Doctor also passes out due to the fumes, but before he does so, he sees a figure approaching, dressed similar to the person that attacked him. The Doctor is rescued by a man named Quinn, who is approached by another man named Bregan, who tells him that they have discovered Ben and Polly as well. Ben is brought to the Doctor, who the two men assume to be the examiner due to him putting on the badge before he was knocked out. Quinn introduces himself as the deputy governor of the nearby colony, of which Bregan is the security chief. 
As they are brought back to the colony, Bregan comments to Ben that they must be very eager to see Lesterson's space capsule. At the colony, Lesterson, who is the chief scientist, is informed by his assistant Jane Lee that an examiner has arrived from Earth to investigate the capsule, but he is curious as to why. Jane Lee diverts his attention to her request to be allowed to use his lab for a clandestine meeting later on. He reluctantly agrees, but warns her to be careful of getting involved in an underground organisation. Jane Lee tries to get him to join their cause, but he is too obsessed with the space capsule. The capsule has been submerged in one of the mercury swamps for over 200 years, but has not suffered any sort of corrosion. Jane Lee, in an attempt to persuade him to join her cause, uses the arrival of the examiner to suggest that the colony governor has sent for him to stop Lesterson from opening it. In a holding cell, Ben and Polly are going over the events that have unfolded, but their questions to the doctor are only answered by various toots from his recorder. Ben begins to lose his temper, but before he can say more, he is interrupted by the arrival of Hansel, the colony governor, and Bregan. He demands to know why they are here, but again the doctor plays dumb and says he is an examiner and he should be allowed to examine. Hensel assumes he has come to investigate reports of dissident groups in the colony, but Bregan says that he must have come for the capsule. This seems to pique the doctor's interest, who then asks for more information about the capsule. Once he has told all they know, he feigns disinterest, saying that he will look at it later. Hensel, a bit happier that his leadership is not the cause of the investigation, instructs Bregan to bring fresh clothes for the visitors, and then they leave. Polly comments that the doctor was looking at Bregan the whole time Hensel was giving him the information about the capsule. The doctor agrees and says that he's suspicious of their story and that he needs to look at the capsule itself. In the laboratory, the doctor is examining the capsule and notices a piece of metal on one of the benches that looks like the piece he found in the chest earlier. He inquires about it and Lesterson says it fell off the capsule as if it was being removed from the swamp. Lesterson seems almost fanatical about the potential that they can learn from the capsule and he says that he may have found a way to open it. He successfully does so and both he and the doctor enter it. The doctor gets the impression from Lesterson's enthusiasm that he knows more about the structure of the capsule than he is letting on, and says that they should come back again to the capsule later when they have had time to think about how to access the rest of it. Ben and Polly follow after the doctor as he leaves, leaving Hensel and Lesterson to insinuate that the other one was the one who sent for the examiner. Quinn offers to get the answers that they need, but Hensel forbids him from going near the doctor. Later that night, the doctor sneaks into the lab, followed by Ben and Polly. He goes into the capsule and they follow on, watching as he uses the two pieces of metal to open the inner door of the capsule. He then calls them on so he can introduce them to a pair of cobwebbed covered Daleks. They look around and Polly calls their attention to a clear patch on the dust covered floor, making the doctor realise that there were actually three Daleks on board. Suddenly, Ben calls out and Polly screams in fright as they watch a shellless Dalek scurry across the floor into the shadows. Episode 2. The doctor instructs Ben to get a torch from the lab which he retrieves, but fails to notice someone spying on them. The Doctor looks around trying to find any clues as to where the Dalek went and what became of its shell, and Ben suggests that maybe Lesterson had something to do with it, believing that he had lied about not being able to access the capsule before. Polly asks how the Daleks could still be alive after 200 years, and the Doctor informs her that they can remain dormant until a suitable power source can be found to wake them up. He is worried that the introduction of a Dalek to the tension within the colony could lead to its complete destruction. Meanwhile, Quinn goes to the Traveller's room, hoping to meet with the Doctor, but finds it empty. He is shocked to see Bregan also had a similar idea, but when he inquires as to his presence there, Bregan merely says that he was following Hensel's instructions to keep him away from the Doctor. He then dispatches some guards to find the Doctor and the others. Back in the lab, Ben comments that the previous version of the Doctor mentioned the Daleks before and suggests that he use his power as an examiner to order the Daleks to be destroyed. However, his frustration again gets the better of him when the Doctor tries a few tongue twisters to continue getting used to his new body, but before he can say anything else, Lesterson arrives, followed by the man who was spying on them. 
Listerson demands to know why they are in the lab, but the Doctor instead demands to know what he has done with the missing Dalek, pointing out Listerson did not seem phased by the sight of the Daleks when he entered the lab. Before they can discuss the matter further, Bregan arrives and demands to know what is going on. Lesterson tries to downplay the importance of the Daleks, but Ben says that they are dangerous. The Doctor signals to Ben to not say anything more, which he does so. The Doctor then orders that they be destroyed, but Bregan says that Hensel needs to give permission first. The Travellers and Bregan depart to go to Hensel's office, and once they are gone, Lesterson sends his assistant, Resno, to get Jane Lee so they can carry on with their experiments in whatever time they have remaining. After he is gone, Lesterson goes into a utility cupboard where he has hidden the third Dalek, who he vows to return to life. Bregan pleads with the Doctor to hold back on his investigation into the unrest in the colony as it could cause more acts of rebel sabotage. He offers to arrange a meeting with him as soon as possible and goes to meet with Hensel, leaving the travellers to their lunch, where Ben once again voices his disbelief that the Doctor is indeed who he says he is. However, Polly doesn't share this belief, but before either of them can say any more, the Doctor calls for them to be quiet while he opens up a piece of fruit to reveal a listening device embedded in it. Polly suggests that maybe Bregan did it under orders from Hensel, but the Doctor says that the real question is who sent for the examiner in the first place, showing them the button that was left in his hand after he was knocked unconscious. They begin to rule out various suspects, and Ben suggests that they go back to the TARDIS, but Polly reminds him about the Dalek that they saw in the capsule. The Doctor says he knows how it was resurrected, and that is why he, they can't leave. Bregan returns and says that Hensel cannot see them for the moment, and informs the Doctor that he can visit him in the morning. After he leaves, the Doctor informs Ben and Polly that he will go and radio Earth for their, to get their assistance. Back in the lab, Lesterson starts to rig up the Dalek as Jane Lee and Resno discuss the efforts of her band of dissidents, with Resno saying that Hensel knows all about their activities and it will only be a matter of time before they are stopped. Lesterson snaps at them to stop their bickering so that they continue their experiment before the Doctor can stop them. They begin to power up the Dalek so that they can view how it and its various appendages operate. As they examine it, the Dalek raises its eye stalk to Resno and begins to observe him. Resno notices this, but Lesterson fobs off his concerns, saying that the Dalek has no higher level of intelligence. They continue their experiments, but Resno continues to insist that the Dalek is observing them. Again, Lesterson tells him to carry on with his work, but the Dalek suddenly shoots Resno, knocking him unconscious, and Lesterson goes to fetch help. Meanwhile, the Doctor arrives at the communications room to discover the transmitter smashed and the operator unconscious. Quinn suddenly emerges from the shadows and says that he has been waiting to speak with him, but before he can say anything further, Bregan arrives with a guard. He notices that Quinn is holding a pair of pliers, which he claims he picked up when he arrived. This, coupled with the fact that the button the Doctor has matches one of the ones missing from Quinn's tunic, forces Bregan to arrest him despite his protestations of innocence. The Doctor returns to Ben and Polly and once they wake up, relays what has occurred. Polly states her belief that Quinn is being set up, but Ben doesn't share her confidence, saying that Quinn could be trying to take over the colony. Bregan arrives and tells him that he will take them to Hensel's office for Quinn's questioning. In the lab, Lesterson is removing the Dalek's weapon and Jane Lee says that they should keep the accident secret so as not to bring a halt to the experiments. They then go off to reveal their discovery to Hensel and interrupt the interrogation. He delightedly announces his breakthrough and the Doctor watches in horror as the Dalek enters the room. It seems to recognise the Doctor, which seems to finally convince Ben that he is who he says he is. Lesterson delightedly rambles off all the benefits the Daleks could bring to the colony, but the Doctor states that it will only lead to the colony's destruction. Suddenly, the Dalek begins to speak, repeating the phrase, I am your servant, over and over again, drowning out the Doctor's pleas for the others to listen to him. Episode 3 Hensel, Bregan and Lesterson stare on in amazement as the Dalek repeats itself. They then turn to discussing the benefits of utilising the Daleks as a workforce and what it could bring to the colony and even Earth. The Doctor is distraught to see that his warnings have fallen on deaf ears and vows to contact Earth once the communication equipment has been repaired. He then 
goes to leave with Ben and Polly, but before he goes, he orders his servant to immobilise itself, which it reluctantly does so. However, once they are gone, the Dalek resumes its normal function and says that it is only loyal to Lesterson and the others that as they returned him to life. Hensel is astounded at the Dalek's ability to reason, but Lesterson preempts any concerns that he may have by saying the work the Daleks will do for them should allay any concerns. He then leaves with Jane Lee and the Dalek to continue their experiments. After they leave, Quinn pleads his case that he is not a dissident and admits that he is the one who sent for the examiner to help solve the problem. Bregan immediately suggests that Quinn did it so that he could oust Hensel from power, which the paranoid governor agrees with. He orders Quinn to be removed and then promotes Bregan to deputy governor. As they are making their way down the corridor, Polly is adamant that Quinn is innocent, but Ben says that they need to focus on the threat posed by the Daleks, an insight that the doctor commends him on. Once they are back in their room, the doctor starts to cobble together a device made from a control unit that he took from Lesterson's lab the night before. He says that they need to be careful as they can't outright destroy the Daleks due to the potential reprisals from the colonists, nor can they wait too long, otherwise the Daleks could destroy the colony. Ben suggests leaving the TARDIS and entreats Polly for assistance when his suggestion falls on deaf ears. She also gets nowhere, but the doctor triumphantly states that he has finished the device. As they are making their way from the room, Quinn is brought past under guard and he calls out for them to save the colony from the rebels. The doctor promises Polly that they will help him later on, but they need to stop the Daleks first and they make their way to the lab. In the lab, Lesterson is running the Dalek through a battery of tests with Jane Lee when the doctor arrives offering to make amends for his earlier actions. As they are talking, the lab phone rings and Jane Lee answers it. The call is for her, summoning her to a meeting immediately. She makes an excuse to go and leaves Lesterson and the Doctor to their discussion about the Daleks while Ben and Polly go off to explore. As she goes, she takes a small bundle with her. Lesterson goes back to running the test and the Doctor sneaks away to use his device to tinker with the equipment that the Dalek is connected to. He causes a power surge which hurts the Dalek, but Lesterson stops the Doctor before he can do any more damage, ordering him to leave the lab. As he goes, he notices that the Dalek's empty weapon slot is aimed at him. After he leaves, Lesterson reassures the Dalek that he will look after it, and the Daleks begin to use Lesterson's naivete and curious nature against him by asking him about the equipment in the lab. When Lesterson says that one of the machines is designed to predict approaching meteor storms, but only has a 70% success rate, the Dalek offers to build him one that would be 100% effective. Lesterson rushes off to seek approval from Hensel, and after he is gone, the Dalek begins to operate the power regulator by itself, and the capsule increasing its output. Jane Lee arrives at the location for her secret meeting, which is Bregan's office. It turns out that Bregan is using Jane Lee to aid the dissidents so they can cause enough problems for Hensel. He would then step in to stop the rebellion and, after being seen as a hero, would take over governorship of the colony from the ineffective Hensel. Jane Lee then reveals that the bundle contains the Dalek's weapon, and she reveals that Resno is dead and not unconscious as Lesterson believes. She says that they can blackmail him if needs be, as he is indirectly responsible for the debt. Bregan then says he needs to find a way to get rid of the Doctor and the others. Jane Lee leaves and comes across Polly as she is looking for the Doctor. She says that she saw him in the communication room, and after Polly arrives, she is knocked unconscious by one of the rebels named Valmer. Jane Lee presents him with the Dalek gun, which Valmer believes will help them win their struggle. Back in their room, Ben is angrily pacing back and forth as he is worried about Polly whilst the Doctor plays his recorder. The Doctor instead has Daleks on the brain, and Ben, giving to his frustration, drags the Doctor out of the room so that they can report the disappearance. As they make their way to Bregan's office, they see Lesterson leaving the lab and sneak into it, encountering the Dalek exiting the capsule. It orders them to leave, but the Doctor takes advantage of its lack of weapons and goes to the capsule to see what it was doing. He is horrified to see that the other two Daleks appeared from the capsule. He assumes Lesterson must have increased the power, and they flee before they are attacked by the other Daleks who are actually armed. After they leave, the Daleks discuss their plans to conquer the colony.
in Hensel's office, Lesterson denies the doctor's claims that he increased the power to reactivate the other Daleks, leading the doctor to declare that the Dalek did it itself. Lesterson again plays down the travellers' concerns by saying that they can shut the power off in order to disarm the others. Hensel then orders them to be quiet, saying that Lesterson and Bregan are in complete control of all matters pertaining to the Daleks. The doctor and Ben storm back to their room but are followed by Bregan. Ben tells Bregan about Polly's disappearance, but Bregan instead informs them of a body in the Mercury Swamp and implies that the Doctor isn't the real examiner, but is instead an associate of Quinn's brought into store of trouble. The Doctor counters this by saying that only the murderer of the real examiner would know the difference. At a stalemate, Bregan says that if they leave Lesterson and the Daleks alone, he will not blow the Doctor's cover. A short while after he leaves, a note is slipped under the door which informs the travellers that Polly is safe, but for only so long as they leave the Daleks alone. In the lab, Lesterson is delighted to see the Daleks have voluntarily disarmed themselves and informs them that he has access to all of the materials and power they require, as well as a fully operational production facility. He then stares on in a slight confusion when they begin to repeatedly chant, We will get our power. Episode 4 Lesterson decreases the power supply from the generator in an effort to maintain his dominance over the Daleks. Once they comply with his wishes, he turns back up the power and then proceeds to ask them about the new meter shower detector. It is better than expected, and Lesterson is so wrapped up in it that he fails to notice the Daleks scrutinising him. In his new office, Bregan is settling into the role of Deputy Governor and observes as Valmer is checking to see if the repairs to the communication system have been successful. There is no love lost between the two men, but before entering into an argument, they are interrupted by the arrival of the Doctor and Ben. The Doctor compliments Bregan on his new uniform, but Ben brings up the real reason that they have come, which is Polly's abduction. Bregan promises to begin a proper search now that the communication system has been fixed, before he can stay any more, a Dalek enters bearing drinks. The Doctor is perturbed by the fact that the Daleks have been given a free run of the colony. Ben suggests that he and the Doctor search for themselves as he feels Bregan won't be entirely helpful, and as they leave, the Doctor wonders how long the Daleks will be able to move around on the non-metallic floors of the colony. After they leave, Hensel calls Bregan from his patrol on the outer areas of the colony to check up on things and informs Bregan that he won't be back for a few days. As they are making their way down the corridor, the Doctor explains the Daleks' need for static electricity to Ben, but stops when he sees three Daleks moving down the corridor. After they pass them by, the Doctor and Ben realise that there are now four Daleks in the colony. They decide to go see Lesterson and see if there are any or more Daleks in the capsule, or if he is manufacturing them. As they leave, the Doctor notices various colonists observing a nearby notice board and taking down a message from it. In the lab, Lesterson and Jane Lee are discussing the Daleks' depletion of the resources that they have been given. Lesterson states that he is starting to think that maybe the Doctor was right to be worried about them and says he intends to go and ask for his advice. Janie stops him by telling him about Reznor's debt. Lesterson is shocked at her deception and even more shocked when she says that he is responsible. He tells her that he won't be blackmailed by her but she tries to placate him by saying the work he is doing is important. The conversation is cut short when the Doctor and Ben arrive. They ask the duo if either of them have seen Polly but neither of them claims to have seen her. The Doctor then asks Lesterson if he has been building Daleks, which he denies. The Doctor then informs him about the extra Dalek and announces that they are building more of themselves. Lesterson realises that he has been deceived and Jane Lee orders the Doctor and Ben to leave as they are causing him stress. A guard comes in and she orders him to remove the travellers, saying that they attacked Lesterson. After they are removed, she summons Valmer and reassures Lesterson that everything will be fine. She gives him something to drink, which is actually a sedative that knocks him out. Valmer arrives and Jane Lee doesn't tell him anything that has occurred but instead tells him to continue setting up the new power supply for the Daleks. Back at the notice board the doctor decodes a secret message meant for the rebels instructing them to attend a secret meeting later that night. They decide to sneak into the meeting in case there are clues to Polly's location. 
In the meeting room, Jane Lee and Valmer arrive with a Dalek, and whilst he reinserts the Dalek's gun into its socket, Jane Lee outlines her plans to use the Daleks to take over the colony for the rebels. Valmer says that he has attached a control switch onto the weapons, meaning that it can only fire when the rebels instruct it to. Jane Lee gets approval from an unseen figure to give a demonstration. The weapon's effectiveness unnerves several of the rebels, as they feel that the Daleks could be difficult to control. Jane Lee offers to use herself as the next target to show them that they are in complete control of the Daleks. The test goes fine, with the control switch stopping the Dalek from killing Jane Lee. Once the Dalek is disarmed, Jane Lee asks about Polly, and Ben in his excitement knocks something over. He exits their hiding spot, telling the doctor to stay there in case they say anything about Polly, and he begins to call for help before he is knocked out. The meeting is abandoned, and once the rebels have left with Ben, their leader calls the doctor out of his hiding place. The mysterious figure is revealed to be Bregan. The Dalek attempts to kill the doctor, but Bregan orders him to leave and retrieve a guard. After a bit of reluctance, it does so. The Doctor then threatens to tell Hensel about what is going on, but Bregan says that it won't work as he intends to reveal the Doctor's ruse. He orders the Doctor to be taken away and he is placed in the same cell as Quinn. The Doctor then reveals what he has found out about Bregan and the Rebels and reveals his true identity to Quinn, informing him about the murder of the real examiner. In the lab, Lesterson wakes up and secretly observes the Daleks discussing their plans for the colony. He follows two of them as they make their way back into the capsule, and he sees that they have indeed been reproducing themselves as well as building more shells using the materials that they have been given. He watches as dozens of Daleks roll off an assembly line. Episode 5 Lesterson flees back to the lab and closes the entrance to the capsule. As he is doing this, Jane Lee enters the room and he blurts out what he has just seen. He shuts off the power to the capsule and swears that he will destroy them. Jane Lee watches as he submits to his mania and he excitedly tells her of all the ways he will destroy them and he informs her that he is no longer cares about her attempts to blackmail him. He tries calling through to reach the doctor, but he is told that he is in prison and cannot be contacted. As he demands to be put through, a Dalek exits the capsule, much to Lesterson's amazement. The Dalek informs him that they are capable of storing power, but it will soon be a moot point as they will have created their own power source. Lesterson then flees from the lab. The Daleks instruct one of their subordinates to seal off the secret entrance to the production area of the capsule, and issues a decree that no more than three Daleks are to be out in the colony at any time in order to preserve the ruse. Jane Lee shortly re- returns one of the rebels and Polly and she tells the Dalek that Polly was plotting against them and that she is to be kept there until the rebellion is over. Polly tries to make Jane Lee see that the Daleks won't obey her forever but her warnings are ignored. Jane Lee then informs the Dalek that a new power cable is being installed into the generator at its request and it informs her that it is required to generate static electricity to make the Daleks more effective. She then says it wouldn't be too much longer for it to be installed as there is no one left to get in their way. Lesterson races down the corridor and encounters one of the security guards. He demands to see the doctor but is again told he is in prison and so sets off for the cell block with the guard chasing after him. In his cell, the doctor is informing Quinn about the Daleks' need for static electricity as he uses a glass of water to try and match the harmonic frequency of the cell door. Lesterson bursts in and exclaims what he has seen in the capsule. The security guards remove Lesterson and take him to Bregan and the doctor in response asks for more water. The doctor succeeds in opening Quinn's cell and then distracts the guard with his recorder, allowing Quinn to sneak up on him and knock him out. They place the unconscious guard in the cell, making sure to remove the water glass first. Lesterson is brought to Bregan's office where he sees a Dalek laying some cabling which states that it is doing so as per Lesterson's instructions. Lesterson denies ever having given such an order but Bregan says that he has been receiving reports of his erratic behaviour and so seems sceptical of his claims. Lesterson asks that the Daleks be removed and once it is gone he begs Bregan to send for Hensel, breaking down completely. Jane Lee arrives and Lesterson warns Bregan not to trust her, saying that she is in league with the Daleks. Jane Lee uses his hysteria against him and Bregan suggests that he be put under restraint for his own good. 
Meanwhile, Hensel returns and finds the Dalek laying cables and Bregan's guards patrolling the corridors while armed. He arrives at Bregan's office and inquires about what has been going on. He grows frustrated when Bregan is slow to respond to his questions and casually says that he ordered the examiner to be imprisoned. Hensel, realising that Bregan is attempting to undermine his authority, orders the guards to remove Bregan, but they refuse, and Bregan announces that he has taken control of the colony. Hensel says that the people won't stand for it, but Bregan requests that Hensel actually make the transition of power go as easy as possible for everyone involved. A Dalek enters the room and Bregan dismisses the guards. Once they are gone, Bregan gives Hensel one last chance to cooperate, but when he refuses, he orders the Dalek to kill him. In the capsule, Polly is kept under guard as Valmer and another man, Kebel, work on installing the cable. Polly mocks Kebel over his treatment of her, saying that he wouldn't stand a chance against someone like Ben, but Kebel informs her that they have captured him as well. Polly changes tack and starts to work on Valmer as he sticks up for her against Kebel. Polly tells him the truth about her and the others and tells him everything she knows about the Daleks. It seems to work as he slows down the pace of their work. Valmer is discussing the new power supply with the Dalek when Jane Lee comes in to announce Hensel's return. They exit the lab, leaving a recently arrived Quinn and the Doctor to discuss what they overheard. Hearing his voice, Polly calls out a warning to the Doctor and Kebble goes out to deal with him, but is attacked and disarmed by Quinn. The reunion is short-lived, though, as more Daleks emerge from the capsule. They flee, but Quinn jams the door in an effort to stall any pursuit. The Daleks decide to wait until the rebels attack and for the two forces to battle each other before they make their attack to wipe out the survivors and assume control of the colony. The trio arrive at Hensel's office and find him dead, leaving Quinn as the only figurehead for the colonists. Bregan arrives and says that he was killed by the Daleks because he wanted to destroy them and he has decided to place the colony under martial law. He then has the trio arrested. Back in the capsule, the order is given. The Daleks are to conquer and destroy. Episode 6 The Daleks begin to file out of the capsule as they head to take up their positions over the colony. In the corridor, the Doctor, Polly and Quinn and their guard encounter a couple of Daleks who refuse to let them pass. The Doctor realises that his fears have come true and that the Daleks are making their move. The guard takes them via a different route. As they continue on, the Doctor calls out to Quinn, who punches the guard so that they can escape. The guard recovers quickly and fires down the hallway after them. Jane Lee arrives in Bregan's office and announces that the revolution has been a success, but Bregan says that they need to tie up loose ends and eliminate the rebels as well. Jane Lee is taken aback by this, but is reluctantly swayed when he offers to share power with her. Bregan then reveals that he would have shot her if she didn't. Unbeknownst to the two of them, Valmer has been eavesdropping in our conversation, and once he has heard everything, he then leaves. He goes to the room where Ben has been held and tells him everything he heard. He then leaves, promising to bring the Doctor and Polly back with him. In Bregan's office, a security guard calls through to him and informs him that the rebels are accounted for, and Bregan tells him to get ready to eliminate them all. Bregan then makes a colony-wide announcement that Hensel is dead and that he has taken over control of the colony. Ben hears the announcement just as the Doctor and the others arrive, having made their way without encountering Valmer. Ben tells him about Bregan's plan and the Doctor says that it doesn't matter as the Daleks will kill everyone. He then leaves, telling Quinn to look after Ben and Polly. The Daleks have made their move and begin attacking the colony, nearly killing the Doctor who was actually playing possum when he saw them. He goes back to the room to get the others, but he is followed by Kebble, who was also playing dead, and a group of Daleks who succeed in actually killing Te- Kebble this time. Janie makes her way to the lab where she encounters Valmer, who has managed to attach control wires to three Daleks in an attempt to use them against the guards. He tells Janie that he overheard her conversation with Bregan, but she convinces him that she was actually on his side all along. The Daleks offer to fight for them, and Valmer reluctantly agrees to take them to help the rebels. Bregan announces over the PA system that the rebels are attacking the colony and that his guards will soon have everything under control. However, one of the guards arrives and misinforms him that the Daleks are on the side of the rebels and their own weapons are useless against them. 
Valmer, Janely and the Daleks arrive at a junction where rebels are fighting guards and are horrified as they watch the Dalek fire indiscriminately into both groups. The Dalek then turns his weapons on them but they manage to get away when it is distracted by a guard shooting at it. They race down the corridor where they encounter Quinn who pulls Valmer to safety as a Dalek kills Janely. The Doctor, Ben and Polly manage to sneak into the lab and nearly encounter a Dalek before Lesterson appears and pulls them into a hiding place as the Dalek goes past. Lesterson has clearly lost his mind and insists that the Daleks are the supreme beings and will replace humans. Ben says that this is his fault and Lesterson must know of a way to stop them. He mentions the cabling that Valmer was laying for the Daleks but says only Valmer himself knows where the power box for it is. The doctor tells Ben to stay in the lab and look for after a distraught Polly whilst he goes to find Valmer. He finds him and Quinn in the hallway mourning over Jane Lee's body. The doctor asks him about the cable and Valmer says that the power box is inside the capsule. The Doctor says that they will need time to deactivate it and tells Quinn to find Bregan to organise a diversion for the Daleks to focus on. Bregan, meanwhile, is desperately trying to contact any of his guards but doesn't realise the slaughter that is taking place in the colony. He then issues a plea for the Daleks to cease fire but Quinn arrives and holds him at gunpoint, telling him to call in his guards from the perimeter areas of the colony. Bregan initially refuses as he doesn't want to sacrifice his men but agrees when Quinn tells him that the colony would be destroyed otherwise. The Doctor returns to the lab with Valmer and they begin to work on destroying the Daleks' power supply. Polly calls out a warning and they hide as a pair of Daleks enter the lab. They announce that enough static electricity has been generated for them to safely disconnect from the normal power supply to themselves and the capsule. They notice someone has been in the lab and Lesterson appears, offering to tell them who did it. He has clearly gone insane as he mimics the Daleks' speech patterns and says that he is their servant. The Daleks kill him anyway and fire at the Doctor as he tinkers with the power generator in the lab. They miss him, hitting the generator instead, which destroys it and causes a massive feedback loop, which destroys the static power box as well. The Daleks all over the colony begin to overload and explode. In his office, Bregan uses the explosion of a recently arrived Dalek to overpower Quinn and make a break for freedom. However, he doesn't get far before he is killed by Valmer. Quinn then takes control of the colony and he and Valmer go to the lab. They find the Doctor unconscious from the explosion and rouse him saying that his plan was successful, but he has had the side effect of destroying the colony's power supply as well. As Valmer and Quinn assess the damage, the Doctor and the others slip away before they are held further accountable. On the way back to the TARDIS, Ben and Polly discuss the Doctor's attempts to convince Quinn and the others about his plans to destroy the Daleks, and when they ask him if he knew what he was doing, he offers a giddy chuckle and goes back to playing his recorder. As the TARDIS takes off, the eye stock of a nearby damaged Dalek slowly looks up as if following them into space. End of the story. Thank you, Paddy, for that recap. It's nice to be back to our full-length episode-by-episode recaps again. Absolutely, absolutely. So my mouth is very dry now, so I'm going to let you do all the speaking for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, so over to trivia. So the air date for this story was the 5th of November to the 10th of December 1966. The writer for the story was David Whitaker. We have discussed David Whitaker before and we will discuss him again. This is the fourth story of eight that he's done. Interestingly, Dennis Spooner, who we've also discussed before, actually wrote the final version of the scripts, but didn't receive any on-screen credit. And this is actually his final contribution to the show. Hmm. This is the first televised Dalek story not to be written or co-written by Terry Nation. He was off working on a different project, didn't have time. Apparently, 
David Whittaker wasn't particularly happy with Dennis Spooner's rewrites, while apparently Terry Nation just didn't really like the story at all. Uh, he felt the Daleks were too sweet and nice. Okay. <laughs> Given what we find out about Daleks later, and the fact that they're composed of pure anger, yeah. I can kind of get where he's coming from. But that wasn't established by this point, so you can't really blame them. Yeah, and that. as well, like like they're they're playing them, like they're they're playing the colonists, so they're being calculating. Yeah, the director for the story is Christopher Barry. Again, we have discussed Christopher before. We will discuss him again. This is the fifth of ten stories from Christopher Barry that we're going to be going through. This is a story where, at the time of this recording, all six episodes are missing. Less than five minutes of actual footage survives of this story. Though there are lots of telesnaps and audio recordings available. For this story, though, we used the BBC animated version to watch so the bbc have animated all six episodes using the surviving audio tracks and they've released it on dvd and blu-ray so that is the version that we watched Mm -hmm. there are a couple of versions of this animation though so there is a 2016 version which is the version you and i have Mm -hmm. which is an animated black and white yeah but then was it this year? They released another version, like a special edition version, yeah. which has a color animation as well, uh, as well as the black and white animation. Um, I don't really know why they went to the bother of doing that when they should be spending their money on <laughs> other Marco Polo. Or... <laughs> yeah. yeah. But either version will give you the black and white version of the animated. Yeah. The original script indicated that this was not the first time the Doctor changed. So in the original script, Triton had a line where basically he was saying like, oh, he's, he's calling it like rejuvenating or, or something like that. And he's basically, this isn't the first time it's happened to him. Obviously that didn't make the final story, but it's interesting given the current theories of Jodie Whittaker's storyline. Mm. That that movie where that came from. Uh, the incidental soundtrack for this is actually reused from the Daleks and the Daleks Master Plan. Polly's absent from episode four and Ben from episode five because Annika Wills and Michael Craze were on holiday. Again, we're used to seeing this in Classic Who. We're going to have usually one episode, maybe two. That's a bit light on one character because that character's actor was on holidays. The trailer for this story states that it takes place in 2020. <laughs> fucking 2020 <laughs> yeah so on to our cast so as Quinn we have Nicholas Hawtrey this is mm. Nicholas's only on screen Doctor Who role though he was in a stage play called The Curse of the Daleks which I don't know if there's any footage of this stage play available if there is someone send it over to us because a play of the Daleks sounds really interesting. His non-who work includes French Kiss, Dangerous Liaisons, and A Witch's Way of Love. Nicholas passed away back in 2018. Valmer is played by Richard Kane. Again, only Doctor Who acting credit for Richard. His non-who roles include A Bridge Too Far and Mussolini The Untold Story. Bregan is played by Bernard Archard. This is the first of two Doctor Who appearances for Bernard, 
we'll see him again in Pyramids of Mars. Yes. Which I think everyone's looking forward to. Mm-hmm. His non-Who work includes Emmerdale, Upstairs Downstairs, Bergerac, The Avengers, Zed Cars, Keep Up Appearances, Village of the Damned, The Horror of Frankenstein, Roman Polanski's Macbeth, Dad's Army, and Krull. Krull. <laughs> <laughs> Bernard sadly passed away back in 2008. Hansel is played by Peter Bathurst. This is the first of two appearances for Peter. We'll see him again in The Claws of Axos. His non-who roles include The Quartermass Experiment and Moonbase 3. Peter passed away back in 1989. Lesterson is played by Robert James. Again, first of two appearances for Robert. We will see him again in The Mask of Mandragora. His non-who work includes The Avengers, Zed Cars, Out of the Unknown, Doom Watch, Orson Welles' Great Mysteries, Steptoe and Son, Blake Seven, Casualty, and Taggart. That that's just that's like pure like sixties yeah. to eighties like <laughs> nostalgia. British television, yeah. Robert passed away in two thousand and four. And Jan Lee. Yeah. I just want to say about I just want to say about Robert James. I was convinced just by his voice that he played like the Heron advisor in the Bedknobs and Broomsticks movie. I was convinced of it, oh, and I was I disappointed when I wasn't. It's so good. Oh, that movie's so good. As Jan Lee, we have Pamela and Davy. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Pamela. Her non-Who credits include Free Wheelers, The Adventures Again, The Saint, No Hiding Place, The First Churchills, and Department S. Pamela also passed away in 2018. Last but by no means least, we have a new doctor. We have a new doctor in the form of Patrick Troughton. Patrick was born in London in 1920. He made his feature film debut as the Player King in Laurence Olivier's Hamlet. He also appeared as Roach in Disney's Treasure Island, which I didn't know. In 1953, he became the first actor to play Robin Hood on television. Oh, that's pretty mm. cool. Inns Lloyd chose Troughton because of his extensive and very versatile experience as a character actor. Again, if we think back to Bill Hartnell, mm. he was very much, in his own words, a character actor. So to have another yeah. character actor take over from him, I think makes a lot of sense. When he got the role, Patrick had a number of different ideas on how to differentiate his Doctor from the character created by William Hartnell, including, <laughs> at one point, a sort of pirate or something Arabian Knight character, which would require him to be in blackface and have a grey beard, have brass eye rings and a turban. Oof. No. I'm no. glad that they did not go that route. Absolutely. Sorry. That's just no. Patrick, but no. No, 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 no. Sidney Newman was the one that suggested that the Doctor should be kind of like a cosmic hobo. <laughs> hmm. So sort of Charlie Chaplin, that whole vibe. Yeah. At the start of rehearsals, Annika Wills and Michael Craze decided they'd prank Patrick Troughton, who's quite a funny person in general. They decided yeah. to prank him. And so they dressed up in t-shirts which said, Come back, Bill Hartnell. All is forgiven. Oh. However, Troughton was incredibly insecure coming into the role because Bill had been 
so beloved as the doctor and he initially didn't react very well to the joke he was already feeling like like a bit of imposter syndrome and the Mm. joke just did not sit well however when it was explained that they were only joking that they really welcomed him on the show they ended up having a really good close camaraderie over time but Mm. the initial joke just sort of tanked yeah two of patrick's sons david and michael have also played various roles on doctor who both on tv and in big finish also his grandson is harry melling who played dudley dursley in harry potter and is also in the queen's gambit which i watched before christmas and is amazing if you haven't watched it i highly suggest you do yeah it's on my list of stuff to watch (laughs) it's really good Patrick's other acting credits, I've mentioned some of them, but his other ones include The Phantom of the Opera, Jason and the Argonauts, The Viking Queen, Scars of Dracula, The Omen. Omen? (laughs) The Omen. (laughs) What the hell is that? The Omen and Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. And this is actually, um, like like some of the actors playing the Doctor, I actually saw him in The Omen and Sinbad and Jason and the Argonauts before I ever saw him in Doctor Who. Mm. Do you know I've never seen Jason and the Argonauts the whole way through? I've seen bits of it. It's so good. It's such a great movie. Yeah. Patrick, a bit like Bill Hartnell, he was a heavy drinker and a heavy smoker. He suffered two major heart attacks, one in 1978 and another in 1984. The story of Troughton's death is quite sad and a bit shocking so on the 20th of march 1987 he was attending a science fiction convention called magnum opus con and he had his third heart attack he had just ordered his breakfast from the hotel staff he had a heart attack and according to the paramedics he died instantly jesus now i can only imagine as a fan who had met Patrick maybe the day before at an autograph signing or something. Mm. What that must be like to find out the following day that he had had a heart attack and died. And, you know, I think just given the nature of the show, not to say that anyone else's deaths aren't heartbreaking, Mm -hmm. but for a science fiction actor to pass away at a science fiction convention... Yeah. It just, it really hit when I read it. Well, like, I remember when I first read it as well, and it was just that, like, it's it's horrifying, you know? Mm. And, like, again, yeah, it's just, like, people, like, that have been in attendance that either met him before or were waiting to meet him or whatever. To get that announcement, it's, it's slightly surreal. Mm. But it's and so apparently sad. Apparently as well, like, he had all these plans for things that he wanted to do over the weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, back like the early cons, they used to do like sketch shows and stuff like that on stage and things like that. And so he had all these plans of what he was going to do over the weekend and unfortunately um, wasn't able to do them. So a bit of a downer to end that note on. However, mm-hmm. I will say we're only at the start of his run. We're going to have yeah. lots of shows to go through with Patrick. And so we're going to yeah. get to enjoy him at his fullest. Mm-hmm. 
So I think in in honour of the newly arrived doctor and as well to kind of lighten the mood after hearing such a tragic loss that we should actually start our uh, character discussion with the, with the new doctor himself. I know that we usually save like a new companion until we discuss the others but I think with the doctor I think we should be uh, we should discuss him first. Yeah, I would agree. My knowledge of Patrick Troughton's doctor, my what I have seen are before this were limited to the five doctors, war games, not war machines, war games. <laughs> and just little general bits. I'd never watched any of his earlier stuff. Largely because like this a lot of his earlier stuff is missing. Most of Patrick's mm. stuff is missing, which which is unfortunate. Yeah. So I wasn't quite sure what to expect. At the start, like the entire first episode and a lot of the second episode, he is so fucking creepy. <laughs> Yeah. Like the the laugh, the smirking, talking about himself in third person. It was it was weird. It was almost like he was trying to introduce Ben and Polly to the Daleks. Like he just kept you know, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to do this and I'm gonna go into the the pot and like he was clearly doing things without really thinking them, like his subconscious was kind of directing his movements or something, and it was really creepy. <laughs> Oh, it was like we have to go only off animation here, right? But I've like I I've seen the snaps, the the the, the telesnap reconstruction, and like Patrick Troughton is a master of his facial features. Like he is, like I have it down in my notes. Like so, the new era begins with a mischievous chuckle, a ridiculous hat, and a recorder. <laughs> um, and like I was just wondering, like was it? intentional on Patrick Troughton's part to kind of maybe make it feel like it's a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde vibe to throw the audience off in that you know like oh is the doctor you know bad now or is he going to be like worse than the the previous one a bit more sinister and like for yeah as you said like you know for the first episode he's so creepy because I knew that wasn't what that doctor becomes I mean Mm. you know even though you maybe ha- like, even if you haven't watched him, you're sort of familiar just from the general sort of Doctor Who general consciousness that like he's referred to in the three Doctors. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's the Dandy being John Pertwee and the Clown. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, the like clown. he's he's referred to as the Clown, like he's the hobo. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. So to see him be this super creepy fucking character is really weird. Now, he does become much more likable starting in episode two. But, like, (laughs) it was really something. And one of the things that I like about it is, A, I think it just brings in a nice change. Hmm. You know, um, you don't want the character getting stale. But also, it sets a nice precedent for what will later be called regenerations going forward. Yeah. And that, you know, immediately after the change, the doctor isn't quite himself. He's not quite settled in himself as of yet. And like I wonder, like, that really creepy nature, like, is that the residual parts of the first doctor lingering? Or are mm. those like under occurrence of this doctor? It's gonna be really interesting to see going forward if that sort of creepy nature is an undercurrent of Troughton mm. or if it was a carryover from Bill 
being played out. I'm really curious to see what part that forms in his character. Absolutely. And as well, like, you know, we, like we talk, we've talked about um, the the difficulties that Patrick Troughton would have had coming into this role. Like, th- at this stage mm-hmm. now, you're three years in and it's become a f- national phenomenon. It's a... And, like, you know, they talk now about, um, like, the divide in the fandom over, you know, when a new Doctor comes in or even now with Jodie Whittaker's uh, coming in and just, like, the backlash to certain... Uh, they're just like you know, oh why did he do it he'll ruin the show or whatever the case that started with him yeah. like when he came in and pe- pe- like a lot of people weren't happy with him coming in now I don't know whether it was just the fact in general fact that you know they were changing the actor or if they didn't like Patrick Trouton because they didn't think he was the right fish whatever the case may be but I think not no, ma- no matter what happens right whether it be TV shows or movies or whatever the case may be if I if you're taking over a role from someone you have a really tough job ahead of you to make it like if it's a character that you can kind of play around with like the doctor like you know you can kind of make it your own then you know it's a bit easier uh like i'll say like unlike james bond where you have to kind of keep the same mannerisms the whole way along you know but he he basically he comes in and you know that he is still the doctor the doctor is still there within him but it's trying to figure out what can be different and have people enjoy both aspects of it you know uh i think he just does he does a fantastic job here like he's silly he's clever he's hysterical he's calm he's annoying but he's reassuring i love his interactions with uh ben and polly you know the whole like they do like a tongue twister and it's like let's listen listen let's listen listen let's listen listen and it's like uh polly plays along with it um I, I, you know, like Jesus, like I don't know what more we can say other than the fact that you know this is a really, really good performance. The one extra note that I had, right? I, and I agree with everything that you just said, by the yeah. way. Um, the one extra note that I have is, it's really interesting to see real fear coming from the Doctor. Mm. Now, this is something where Patrick Troughton really shines. I think. Oh yeah. His ability to react and like like you mentioned, like his facial reactions are really good because with Bill, while he was in a lot of scary situations, I don't think we ever saw his doctor being legit scared or afraid of of anything. He was very much trying to be solid and powering through and whatever. I'm trying to think of a moment of like genuine fear for bill and i'm not thinking of any thinking back every time like you know like you know you have those kind of things where he goes the daleks and it's like but it's that kind of imperial look he gets on his face in the sense of like you know like you know you shall not phase me even though like this is a scary situation like i shall not be phased where like here there's the sequence where the dalek is saying i am your servant over and over again and it's Mm. just like it's staring at the doctor and all it is is just like patrick like in the telesnaps, all you have to rely on is Patrick Troughton's voice. Now in the animation, it does a fairly good job of capturing his um, facial features, but he gets across just how terrifying these things actually are. Yeah, I mean, looking at the animation, and it, it I mean, fair deuce to the animators for it because it came across really well. Although it does again, it makes you wish that you had the the original yeah. version. But like, he looks like he's going to wet himself. 
Like, this isn't a case of, oh no, it's the Daleks. And then you're working, it's, it's yeah. oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, yeah. oh shit. Like, it's genuine fear. And I think that's really, really good. And I hope that that honest characterization stays with him throughout. Because I thought that was really good. Yeah, and like, I'll, like, spoiler alert, uh, it actually does. Like, oh. when, when he is scared, he is scared. And that tells you, the audience, that you should be scared as well for a good reason. Uh, one question I have, though, right, is that I had to go back and watch The Ten Planet and try and find a frame of William Hartnell that shows his pants. Because in this, it looks... Yeah, no, yeah, just bear with me, all right? Okay, his trousers for, you know, those of you that, you know, it means something different. It looks like his clothes completely change as well. Now, like, he has the same black frock coat and, like, the shirt is a bit loose and he's wearing, the bow tie is askew, but that's because, like, it's a different body. But it looks like he's wearing completely different pants and at no point of the story does he actually change his pants. <laughs> so, like, did they regenerate the clothes as well? <laughs> but I don't I don't think they did. I think, because uh, he's wearing, like, kind of checkered pants and I think that William Hartnell was wearing, like, a sort of a checkered pants at the yeah, end of so Ten Palette. It was interesting. So... Last week, obviously, we discussed um, an adventure in space and time with Dan mm. and Paul. And at the end of that, you have Patrick meeting Bill Hartnell. And yeah. it does look like their costumes are different Yeah. in an adventure in space and time. However, I thought that the difference here with the pants was just that one of them is taller than the other. So the pants sits differently. Well, like, yeah, like the there, there's... They're wearing suspenders, like, so the pants are a bit different. But I think they're a completely separate change of pants, like, so it's, <laughs> like, this rejuvenation process is miraculous, like. Um, but um, it's, this isn't a case now of, like, you know, obviously, ooh, shiny new thing, it's, you know, let's focus on this. But what I will say is that Patrick Jordan did a fantastic job to settle himself into the role of the Doctor here. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we've spoken before about, like, strong season opener stories strong first stories for a companion for a first story for a doctor yeah this was really good Hmm. i mean yeah it's six episodes so you have some time to get to know him but it it is a really good first time i'm really Hmm. looking forward to the next couple of months and going through his stories because this is a really high point and like even when I was doing the summary, like episode one is a bit longer in my recap because I need to get across the whole point of like he is trying to find himself. Like, you mm. know, like there's like the whole changing of the musculature of his face, the kind of like, you know, stretching it out, all this type of stuff, leapfrogging, like getting his zaniness out. Also, yeah. when I read the part about him reading his diary as he was walking, I could feel your eyes boring into my very soul. <laughs> <laughs> for for obviously people that don't know where. When I walk to work, I get kind of bored. I don't always listen to music. So I will pull out a book and I will read as I walk to work. Yeah, no, the running... It's not a joke because it's not funny. But <laughs> yeah. the running thing amongst Paddy's group of friends, particularly myself and Paddy's wife, is that one of these days, Paddy's going to get knocked down by a fucking bus because he's somebody reading a book. He's not aware of what's going on around him. Because he'll crossroads he walks he has walked for like an hour to work reading a book the whole way there yep yep no you're we've tried to get him into audiobooks and he just doesn't like them 
So what can we do? I don't mind it, but I prefer to read the real thing before I listen to an audiobook. But this isn't about me, this is about... (laughs) So, companions. Indeed. So we have Ben and Polly continuing on with this new Doctor. And then we're going to have Quinn and we also have Valmer listed here as well. Uh, probably just Valmer would be a, a, a short note, but like yeah. I think he, he is on the side of the angels, as it were, in this. Yeah. So, poor Ben. Mm. <laughs> ben really needs time when it comes to adapting to change. Yeah. And to accepting what is literally before his eyes. It's very similar to in The Smugglers. It took Ben a little while to catch on to things and stuff. In his defense, though, the doctor was acting super fucking creepy and weird. Yeah. Like, Ben is really not on board with this for the first half of the story. Like, yeah, like, it isn't until, like, um, I think it was he just talked, like, the doctor talks about the Daleks that it's like, right, yes, you are the guy. You are, you are he. Yeah, but even like your Ben's like, but are you the doctor? Because he's not even calling himself the doctor. Like, the doctor yeah. isn't referring to himself as the doctor. So Ben's like, what the hell is this? And again, you know, as is the story with Ben, his first thought is always Polly. Polly, yep. And again, we have another story of, but what about Polly? But what about Polly? But what about yeah. Polly? <laughs> when Polly goes missing. <laughs> very reminiscent of war machines in that regard yeah like also like the cockney is strong in ben in this one it's like you know, he, he says like you know doc, like the doctor you my fine china are not and like he, he has to explain like you know like china china in place you know mate <laughs> that, that's yeah. the cockney rhyming slang it's brilliant um i think himself and polly have a very kind of angel and devil you know, on the shoulder type relationship with the doctor in this one uh, again like, or Mulder and Scully like we've kind of compared them yeah. to but I get this notion right that Ben isn't being obstinate like even like when Ben isn't being obstinate he's giving the doctor what he perceives to be enough rope to hang himself with so that he can catch him out and I think that's actually kind of clever of, of Ben at times to kind of like you know just follow through until such a time as he can ascertain who like, if he, this, if the doctor is the, the real thing or not yeah, because, I mean, it's very easy to sort of... I mean, I say poor Ben, you know, like... Mm. Um, it is very easy to throw Ben under the bus and be like, dude, he changed right before your eyes. Mm. Like, are you really that stupid? But if you consider the things that Ben has seen so far... Yeah. And how far out of his comfort zone he has gone. Mm. Um, also bearing in mind, you know, looking back to 10th Planet, which for us was a number of weeks ago now, but, you know... He did kill someone in 10th Planet and that affected mm. him greatly. For all he knows, the doctor that got on the TARDIS with them wasn't the real doctor. Mm. Do you know? For all he knew, that doctor was an impersonator. Do you like in the reality of the show, like for us, it seems silly, but that's because we know Patrick Troughton is the new doctor. Yeah. For Ben in the show, his being a little bit obstinate and a little bit sort of who the hell are you and yeah. I'll believe you're the doctor when you prove it unequivocally that you're the doctor mm. that I can kind you can kind of understand it do you know oh like, well, like, so this, like one thing I just I just realised I only realised right now is that 
every adventure Ben has had with the Doctor thus far has been on Earth. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, obviously the war machines, it, that's a terrestrial-based menace. Smugglers, it's in the past. And Ten Planet, yes, it's based on Earth, but the threat or the menace is extraterrestrial. Mm-hmm. Here, it's extraterrestrial uh, menace on an alien planet with the person that you probably trusted to look after you or to get you from A to B is not who he appears to be. So I, I, look, he, I think his scepticism, yes, is well-founded. But I think that he should kind of let Polly's judge of character kind of rub off on him a small bit. But one, one thing I did notice is that, and I kind of say the same thing about Polly, is that uh, they're kind of in the background a bit for me in this one, which is understandable because the main focus is on the new Doctor. Yeah, the one thing with, actually, <laughs> speaking of things that just occurred to me, the one thing as well, if you're thinking back to 10th Planet, or we're thinking back to the ending of 10th Planet, mm-hmm. First Doctor goes into the TARDIS, locks the door. Yeah. If you remember, he locked them out. Yeah. And there was a very real concern he was going to leave them behind. Mm. And again, you know, we've said before, Ben's main priority is Polly's safety. Yeah. So not only did the guy that he trusted to, like I said, get Polly from A to B, not only did he nearly abandon them, Mm -hmm. he then changed into this other person who's acting really fucking weird and who he has no idea who he is. Mm. You know, given the fact that Ben always wants Polly to be safe. Yeah. Again, him being a little bit sort of when you prove it I'll believe it Yeah, makes a bit more sense if he's mm. going to trust the doctor with Polly which I know isn't really his place but that's just it's just the nature of him like it's the same way you know you're my best friend if someone new came into my life that was being super creepy and weird you'd probably want to know what the f- fuck was going on with this person before you felt anywhere near comfortable with the idea of me being alone with them at any point in time yeah yeah um that's just the way friends are so i think again it makes more sense does he need to let it go a little bit perhaps but it's it's an understandable character thing rather than a stupid character thing oh yeah no no completely completely um so in turn like we've mentioned her now several times so how about we move on to polly yeah, so Mulder, I mean, I mean Polly, is mm-hmm. um, very accepting of the change the Doctor has gone through. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, she's almost the, the complete other end of the spectrum to Ben. Mm. She's almost too accepting, really, <laughs> when you think about it. But I guess in this instance, Polly's meant to be reassuring the audience. You know, yeah. She's meant to be reassuring the little kids, yeah, he is the Doctor. Again, we see the really great way she is with people. She can read people really well. She's really good at sort of getting people who are perhaps villainous Hmm. to relax with her and stuff like that. You know, again, going back to 10th Planet, you know, Ben was like, oh, get, you know, you can get them to talk to you. You can get them to do this. There's a lot of that stuff coming through again. Also, like, okay. When she's talking to Valmer and the other guy in the pod and she's yeah. sort of, yeah, well, you're a big, strong man, aren't you? Like saying all this stuff to a woman. Um, 
how about if you faced a real man like Ben? It's like, oh, yeah. it's kind of cute because Ben is a stick, like, yeah. and this guy's like a big, burly guy, or whatever. But like, oh, that's adorable. <laughs> again, though, like we have this thing where she's captive. Mm. Again, but when there is an opportunity to escape, she uses it. Yeah. And kind of like, you know, you're talking about the judge of character. It's not just the doctor. Like, she, like, she talks, you know, you know, talks to Kebble and kind of goes, right, you're a bit of a fucking uh, Neanderthal, but that's that. Whereas Valmer, it's like, she gauges Valmer and it's like, no, they're really not what you think they are. And, you know, she's earnest and sort of Valmer kind of slows the pace a small bit on the laying of the cabling. And with Quinn then, it's like, she has no real evidence to support her belief in Quinn other than she's actually a a good judge of character, you know? Mm. Um, but again, as I said, um, written, I think, a small bit into the background to allow the, as I have it here, to allow the doctor to stretch his wings and his facial muscles <laughs> so that we could. But... Um, what do you think like, of Polly and the doctor? I love as, it. Like, okay, I d- leaving, le- unfortunately, leaving Ben aside for a moment, right? Because yeah. he's being, but like leaving Ben aside, Polly and the and this version of the Doctor. Yeah, I think they're hilarious. <laughs> they are like it's just like, a, like the, as I said, the tongue twister thing where they're both like Lester's and listen, Lester's and listen, Lester's and listen, um, and it's just like she's maybe she's doing this whole whole thing, you know, to kind of make him comfortable enough that he might make a slip up but at the same time I don't really get I, I, I wouldn't back that theory like as I said like you can draw that theory out there but I wouldn't back it up because she's a very nurturing person she's a very caring person and here I think she's just obviously they saw at the start that it was a very um, it's not the smoothest of transitions for the person going through it so I think she's just trying to make him feel at ease and at peace and like I can't wait like I think that Polly and uh, what are we going to call him now Doc Pat Doc, yeah Doc Bill Doc, yeah Doc Pat Doc Pat yeah. we might change Polly, we'll Doc Pat yeah uh, Polly and Doc Pat are Barbara and Doc Doc Bill mm. yeah I think so I think yeah. there's a very much like she the thing I love about Polly is she's such a people person she can put anyone at ease. It's an amazing skill she has, but she also, like, gets caught up in other people's, um, enthusiasm. So yeah, I can see sort of Ben having to be the adult of this trio, <laughs> <laughs> and you have Doc, Pat, and Polly just off in the corner doing tongue twisters, and Ben's like, "Will you two fucking focus?" <laughs> That that's kind of like you know when you and I hang out with like another person, they have to be like the yeah. adult of the scenario. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of like when we were living with Darren, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I get that. But I think that this trio is going to work very, very well. Oh, so do I. I've I've really good feelings about them. Um, before we move on to our next person, right? I am just going to make one comment, right? Because I haven't made it up to now. Yes. And I don't know, now that we've dubbed Patrick Troughton as Doc Pat, I don't know if I'll get a chance to do it again. 
because you may have worked your way out of the corner that you thought you were going to go into. Paddy, can you say Patrick Troughton for me? Patrick Troughton. One more time. I hate you so much. <laughs> Patrick Troughton. And can you say Patrick Fox? <laughs> Patrick Fox. <laughs> I I just want to have it on audio forever. Okay. (laughs) To explain. Yes, my my name is spelled the exact same as Patrick Troughton. However, due to regional and regional linguistics and whatnot, every member of my family, including myself, we pronounce my name Patrick as if there's an extra R there. Hence why I go by Paddy on as much legal documentation as I possibly fucking can. <laughs> to avoid stuff like this. Yes. Yeah. I have known so. Paddy for many, many years. And I will never get over his inability to, from my perspective, pronounce his own name. Particularly because <laughs> you can you can say my name fine. You don't call me yeah. Patricia. No. <laughs> And any credibility I have now is completely washed, you know, so everyone's just like, oh, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> no, no, I just realised that as we were going through, I was like, I haven't commented on the Patrick thing. And I was like, that's because he hasn't said it. Yep. <laughs> and you never uh, will again. So we've done it and we're moving on. One thing that I just want to go back to Patrick Trowan is that, as I said, like I saw him on other stuff before I ever saw him in this, right? And the character he plays in The Omen um, mm. is like, I got vibes of the defeated Doctor. After I went back and I watched this, like, you know, his uh, run, I was like, this is the type of guy that he would be if the Doctor was just defeated, like, mm. at, at his end. I know that pre that character he plays as a priest that isn't a particularly good person is seeking redemption, but just the way that he does it is like like all I can just say is Patrick Trone is a fantastic actor, and I would highly recommend. And this um, what we talked about last week. I went away and I watched some William Hartnell movies. Again, fantastic actor. Maybe a bit typecast, uh, which is unfortunate. Whereas Patrick Trone is a bit more widespread. But again, with these two actors, if you have the opportunity, please go and watch any of their stuff. And now back yeah. to the companions. Yeah, <laughs> sorry for the sidetrack, but yeah, <clears throat> I had to do it. So companions, yeah, we're, 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 we're back after a bit of a, technically a bit of a hiatus, so we yeah. might as well leave. <laughs> That's yeah. true. And I've been looking forward to this since we finished yeah. Tenth Planet. <laughs> um, so we have Quinn and Valmer. So yes. if we do Quinn first, because Quinn is probably the more obvious yeah. story-based companion of the two. So Quinn is a strange one in the sense of like, he never really seems to get going as a companion until mm. he meets the Doctor in jail because it's very stop-start his interactions with the TARDIS crew. Like, he's there in the background. Uh, he reminds me of a small bit of Tavius from the Romans in the sense of like, mm. you, know, uh, you know, whispering from the background and all that kind of stuff. And But unlike the Romans where he's kind of like, you know, had previous interactions with the other characters he's trying to address them all here at the same time and it's just it's unfortunate it doesn't work that way but I get the impression that the reason that Hensel has stayed in power so long is because Quinn having no real designs on being governor is such an effective administrator that Hensel just takes credit for everything that he does (laughs) Um, 
and I, I really like these little kind of partners in crime moment with the doctor in the jail cell where it's like the doctor is really pissing him off because he's doing the he's using a glass of water to create the harmonic effect yeah. and I like he's like going, oh, all you can sit there is do this and that and the other and the doctor explains stuff to him and like uh, Quinn just goes like you might want a bit more water <laughs> it's just like that snap thing where like, they just become like a perfect unit and even at the end it's like you know when he calls on Bregan to do the right thing and it's like you know he has him at gunpoint and it's like look you're not doing this for me you're not doing this for you you're doing this for the colony and he clearly loves the colony because at the end his first port of call isn't to make some grand statement that he is taking over is to get Valmer and kind of go right assess casualty reports damage reports what we have what we need so on and so forth so I think Quinn is a kind of he's actually a pretty cool character in that regards you know yeah I think I'll be honest with Quinn I was quite disappointed in him for like the first four episodes yeah he did bugger all even though he is the one who got the higher ops and what he believes the doctor was like the um oh what was the name the art examiner the investigator oh what the fuck is Uh, art examiner art examiner the examiner yeah so like he's the one who got the examiner involved Hmm. and yet he does very little for the first four episodes like you said like you mentioned um the romans whereas that character in the romans was interesting yeah he was nice he was likable quinn is a bit odd and doesn't really do anything and you know you get the sense that you know he doesn't really know who to trust Mm. and so he won't play all his cards but he's like someone who's thinking 50 steps ahead and therefore can't see the giant hole right in front of his face yep the one thing i found incredibly unbelievable about quinn okay is he clearly at the end has a very high opinion of Hensel. Do you know? He clearly respects Hensel as the governor and when he finds out what happened to him, you know, he's like, Hensel was a good man. Mm. Do you know? Yeah, I I do agree with you that Quinn probably did most of the work. Yeah. But Hensel, you know, he used to go out to the edges of the colony and he, he visited people and the people liked him. And Quinn obviously supported that and supported him in that capacity so why did he go behind his back to get the examiner involved yeah because like see this is the weird thing now right is that i i think he respected hensel's uh position of authority more than he respected the man himself you know maybe um because like, like otherwise like why guess you know an art examiner involved or just an examiner because he's not examining the fucking soil um, <laughs> <laughs> like why get um, an examiner involved at all um so like he again like as i said he does make himself interesting for the last two episodes for me anyway but though it was first four it's such a start stoppy type thing like that it's hard to kind of get but like this thing is so just there's so many wheels and emotion and treads being pulled that it can get a small bit confusing uh but even with that is like yeah no it just he's slow to get started but once he does get started he actually kind of makes up for it i think yeah the other comparison i was thinking of is that like he's trying to be varus from game of thrones (laughs) 
but he's as subtle as Ned Stark. <laughs> Do you know? I, I, I could, yeah, because like I've actually in my notes I've referred to Bregan as Littlefinger, so <laughs> <laughs> it works. No, but it's like it's like he's trying to be Varys by doing oh, all yeah. the stuff behind the scenes and you know being in the know with everything. But yeah. he's as subtle as Ned Stark, like because he just keeps getting caught out on everything he tries to do, and <laughs> people are playing him, and he doesn't realize it. So how about uh, Valmer, very quickly? Yeah, so Valmer is kind of like the rebel with a conscience, ish. Yeah. I say ish because I wouldn't really class him as an ally because he only helps them out when he finds out that Bregan is against the rebels. He had no problem with Polly being captive before that. He has mm. no problem rebelling against Hensel and the government. He is a rebel. He is, That is what he is. I think the reason why I can't fully get behind him as an ally is we don't ever really understand what exactly is he rebelling against and why. Like, yeah, we know that Bregan set up the whole rebellion thing. But we don't know why Valmer joined. Mm. So his sort of redemption-ish at the end of the story where he's working with our companions, it does, I don't really understand why he did that. There's no real stakes to it other than, you know, the, the Daleks are coming, the Daleks are coming. <laughs> um, what I will say, though, just about the... Uh, before we go on to the villains, is... It's actually interesting to see a pair of, you know, supporting companions survive the fucking thing. That is true. That is very true. We we don't always get that. Or like they don't no. always get like some bit of a happy ending because even in say like if we do the Aztecs where they like Outlock and Kameka both live, Kameka is heartbroken and Outlock goes into fucking live in the wilderness because he's lost <laughs> fate in his entire society. He's lost the will to live. <laughs> No, he, he's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so yeah, like Valmer, like he's, yeah, like you know, technically he's not a good guy, but at the end, you know, like after Polly kind of says, "Hey, eh, maybe everything isn't so fucking rosy as you think." It's like, well, he like as I call him, he's the rational rebel. <laughs> yeah, I think he's probably. I'm less conflicted about him than I am about Marco Polo. <laughs> But only because he's a smaller character in the story. I probably would class yeah. him in the same way I class Marco Polo, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Is his redemption really worth classing him as a companion? I don't really know. But that's because we don't know anything about him. We don't know any of his motivations or anything. Yeah. Because we don't know the motivation of the fucking rebellion. Like, so it's like... <laughs> like, he's not he's not exactly the squire from the smugglers, you know, where it's a case of like, yeah, you're a bad guy, but it's, you know, you have positive motivations, but you're still technically a fucking villain for the piece of this story. Like, yeah. um, Cool. So, villains. villains yeah, so we have, film. obviously, the Daleks. So we might do the Daleks themselves last. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have but fucking quite a few. So we've Bregan. Yes. Hensel. Yep. Lesterson and Janley. So some of these characters aren't necessarily villains of the story, but they're villains to our characters. Yes. They're like yeah. opposing our characters within the story. Yeah. Where do you want to start? <laughs> so will we work our way up the food chain uh, from villains of scenario to outright villains? Sure. So... I would say villains of scenario would start off with Hensel. Yes. 
Ben said it himself. Hensel is the typical governor. Yeah, he's a complete bureaucrat. Yeah. And he's only he's only looking out for number one. That I don't necessarily agree with. I think he doesn't want anyone questioning his authority. He doesn't want the higher-ups nosing around because he thinks he's perfectly capable. I don't think he's only looking out for himself, though, because, again, we find out that, like, he does go out and visit the border uh, settlements. Do you know, he does clearly care about people. He's maybe not the most competent person on the planet, hmm. but he does care. Um, well, see, because this is the thing now that we kind of brought up when we were saying about Quinn is that, like, he at the start, he's completely terrified at the idea of the examiner is coming to examine or investigate his capability of whole, uh, managing the, the dissident groups in the colony. And then, like, immediately once it turns out that he's there about the capsule, it's like, oh, like, my God, I'll help you whatever you want. You know, just take the fucking focus off me. But we made the comment there about, you know, Quinn kind of being, like, the real uh, capa- capability behind the throne, as it were. So I think that the trips to the outer colonies, rather than being a kind of, a, I think, of benevolence, they're more like a, a politician doing, like, a tour of, like, say, like, mines in order to kind of get a vote from the working man. That's how I, that's how I read it. Maybe, though I, I'm trying to remember, doesn't, I think he wears different clothes when he goes out. Uh, well, he'd obviously, like, because, you know, the place is, like, covered in fucking mercury hot springs. <laughs> I was, because, like, again, with the animation. But, yeah, but like, all... he doesn't do, like, he, it's not the whole, like, the way you see sometimes in movies and TV and in reality, mm. the politicians going out to make themselves look good, and they're wearing their politician clothes. Oh, as opposed to wearing the outfits of the actual people. Yeah, as opposed to going out and just being one of the one of the people that yeah. are there like again because of, I see the animation and I suppose I should have checked the, the snapshots to see if there's costume changes or whatnot because animation doesn't always cover costume changes if he had actually kind of put on the garb of the working man as it were um, but like I think my, my view of it was that he was just looking to secure his own position and again, like when he heard about the benefits that the Daleks would bring the colony and all that kind of stuff, it's like, well, you know, I could, yes, it could bring great stuff to the colony, but I could be the person that ushers in that thing. So that's my name on a stamp of history type thing. Yeah. Personally, I think it might be a bit of both. Um, mm. I think there, there is, a, I think, I think he's someone who loves being governor. Yeah. Do you know, um, who loves being governor in terms of the power that he has, but he also loves being governor because well, he's the governor. Do you know what I mean? And he gets to meet the people and he makes choices that impacts everyone and when people are happy or there's good things for everyone yeah he gets to put his name up i think he's also the type of guy who you know if a little kid came up to him with a drawing of the governor i think he'd love it do you know i I think that he has both sides the one thing i will say though is he did not deserve what he got though he he really didn't like the ending that he got the backstabbing from bragan I I don't think he deserved that. No. Um, like, if anything, it would have been, I suppose, more in fitting with his character if he had died in terms of trying to protect the colony. You yeah. know? During the final fight sequence. But I suppose, again, given as Ben says that he's a typical bureaucrat, he... And I suppose, like, because there isn't... This is the thing about this story is that we again because we don't understand the stakes, we don't understand like if are there you know various like is there unions versus the the administration? Is there all this kind of stuff? So we don't understand the full extent of the politicking behind everything that's going on. So, like, could it be that 
because there's no re- like he just if there was politicking going on would it have should he have been a bit more shrewd of what Bregan was doing you know I think the ending I would have liked to have seen for him mm. would have been him teaming up with the rebels to take down Bregan yeah and he goes out that way but because we don't know why the rebels are rebelling rebelling yeah <laughs> it doesn't make sense <laughs> Uh, so next on my list is Lesterson. Oh my god, Lesterson. <laughs> when will scientists learn to stop opening doors that shouldn't be opened? When? Oh my god. Like, I, my, my first line I have here about Lesterson is, I'm a big whiny baby. Like, Jesus hmm. Christ. Like, he really epitomizes the blind scientist, nothing matters but my experiment and I'm always right. Yeah, I can't really say that he's evil. He's just a fucking idiot. Yeah, like, but see, this is the thing: is that like, his ego gets in the way of things, and like, I know, I suppose it's maybe it's a it's a human thing, like where you think you're onto something big, and then uh, uh, I'm doing air quotes here, an expert comes in and tries to tell you how to handle stuff, and you're like, your back is immediately up because you know it's like how you you do things in your little wheelhouse um one thing that this story has like a lot of tropes in it and a lot of stuff that i really really like and i'll get into the overall with lesterson lesterson's character progression is very you know cthulhu mythos type thing oh, in yeah. the sense of he gets like he gets a view of this power and the more the, the that power he's ex- exposed to the more his comprehension of it starts to, and like what he has done, it affects his sanity to the extent of like he be, tries to become a servitor to the Daleks. Like he, he's like completely robotic. He uses the Dalek speech pattern. He even quotes them, I am your servant. And like any sort of like poor bastard that gets fucking wrapped up in Cthulhu's, they, they don't care and they just, they kill him like that. Like we don't need your worship, we don't need your help, we don't, you know, we don't need no education. Um, <laughs> uh, leave that Lesterson alone. <laughs> uh, uh, um, but like, so that aspect of his character, I was like, I don't know. Should I feel sorry for him? Should I feel like because like that's a very grim ending for his character? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about Lesterson, like, I usually sort of write notes as we're. They're sort of like live stream dumps of my thoughts as, as I'm watching. Mm. And then I'll go back to them later on. But like the thing with Lesterson is the only reason he started to believe the Doctor about the Daleks being evil mm. is because he they stopped listening to him. Yeah. He likes being in control. And the only reason why he started exploring anything about them other than I am so great, I am so great, I created these things or whatever... <laughs> is because they stopped listening to him and he's out of control. By the end of it, though, I mean, he's crazier than a bag of cats. Like, the poor bastard. Like, mm. And you wouldn't mind, but like you can actually watch it in every scene. I think part of it as well is because as soon as he realized that he was wrong mm. and he saw this mass production line of Daleks, yeah. He tried to warn people and was like, shit, no, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. Like, no, they're crazy. And no one listens to him. No. And so it just, 
I said I I really like the Cthulhu analogy because yeah. it really is a cultist or whatever in Cthulhu yeah. mythos who just becomes completely absorbed into it and then is so lost in themselves within it that oh, they yeah. just can't. Mm. You know, poor bastard. Yeah, poor, poor, poor Lesterson. He didn't listen. Mm. <laughs> uh, so now we move on to, I would say, Jane Lee. Yeah. Who, like, um, <laughs> all I got was like, just thought of like, you know, there is only one governor of the colony, colony, and he does not say share power, ish. Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I think herself and Bregan like are perfectly matched in their ambition. Like, yeah, they're both very cunning. They have great manipulative abilities. Uh, I think had there been no Daleks involved in the story. Very much like, you know, that uh, episode in the Keys of Marinus with the the guard's wife and the prosecutor. Yeah. How far would their uh, cooperation and relationship have gone uh, like, during, like, you know, at, uh, with the, the rebellion? Like, would one of them have, like, fucked the other one over? Yeah, like, my, my main things with Jan Lee are she's a sneaky fucking bitch, like. Mm. Do you know, like, if this was your first Dalek story... It would be a weird first Dalek story, I think, personally. But if this is your first Dalek story, and, you know, we have the bit where the Dalek attacks the other scientist, and the following day she's telling Lesterson, oh no, he'll be fine, he just needs to rest. It's grand, whatever. Like, how fucked up do you have to be that you know these things can kill, Hmm. but you're willing to let him work on them anyway? Like, she knew that they killed that other scientist. And she was willing to to let it continue. And then and I'm like, like... Go on. No, I was going to say, like, and, like, that's... like I think that's, a, uh, like, a, a t- like, a check mark on the scale of evil, you know? It was, like, like, using... Like, once you find out that something is bad, still using it. Mm. You know? And then my second note is, idiot, of course they'd fucking turn on you. Like, <laughs> she seems yeah. so surprised. <laughs> Like really, you dumb fuck! Like, what do you expect? Oh, like it's just like again. There's a lot. Like, there's a lot of a load of Game of Thrones analogies you could throw at this, you know, because of just like all like the the weird political and backstabbing and everything that's going on. But I think there's one very kind of weird haunting thing about her ending is like, okay, she gets killed by a Dalek, and like Valmer knowing that she was kind of in bed with Bregan, he's still like he's still sad at her loss and it's like hey on a second there no dude like this person clearly fucking plotted and agreed to fucking ye over but like she has like i suppose that cult of personality about her again though what were they rebelling against yeah was she lying about the rebellion as well hmm. like was she undercover in the rebellion or yeah did she actually believe what they were rebelling against and then got swayed by Bregan? We don't yeah. know because we never find out what they're actually rebelling against. <laughs> we demand more chicken penny arabiata in the country. And drier canteen trays. So, uh, how about we move on to Vulcanian Littlefinger? Yeah. Um, 
we can't really say that uh, Star Trek stole Vulcan from <laughs> you know Doctor Who because I think Vulcan's established as a planet at this stage in Star Trek mythos. Yeah, that was a separate thing. So uh, Vulcan, there was a, a there is a, a thing that oh Vul- Star Trek stole Vulcan. No, uh, originally in the script it wasn't even called Vulcan. Yeah. Uh, on Star Trek, it was called Vulcanus or something. Hephaestus. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it was just a coincidence. Oh, okay. They both, like, Vulcan in Star Trek, I'm assuming, is obviously based from, like... Um, like there's Greek and Roman mythology because of, you know, yeah. Rom- Romulus and... Yeah. Yeah. And that that's clearly where Vulcan came from. So I think for this, they just picked, like... They didn't want it to have it be on Mars. <laughs> yeah. They'll go with Vulcan, so... Cool. Bregan. Bregan, Bregan. Um... He is one ambitious fucker. Oh, big time. Like, the balls on him. Like, not just to make the changes that he did. Mm. Right? So, he, he orchestrates all this shit to get himself in power. He didn't just... Like, the changes he made over the course of, like, a day. It went from, oh, yeah, I'm the deputy governor to I'm Hitler. In, yep. like, fucking... Six hours. <laughs> like, what the hell? Uh, it's like... And see, this... Uh, just kind of a quick note there, right? Back when myself and Trish first started this podcast, we did a pilot run that we got our friends at uh, Mission Log to give a listen to, to kind of give us pointers on. And we did it on the Pyramids of Mars, which, as we said earlier on, is the other story that Bernard Archer is in. G- God love him. Like, other characters, other actors... Like they, you know, they could be the villain, but you'd never think of it, you know, that type of thing. Like the guy that played Leon in Reign of Terror. Mm. Unfortunately, Bernard Archer falls into the Francis de Wolf category of actor in the sense if you take one look at him, he's like, yeah, fucking bad guy, bad guy right there. Um, Christopher Lee. (laughs) Yeah, Christopher Lee or whoever. And it's like, you you take a look at Bregan, it's like, and the minute you just take a look at his face, like you know, like okay, you're up to something fucking shady. I'm sorry, but you are. <laughs> Actually, there's only one thing I've ever thing I've ever seen him as a good guy in, um, and it's it was off the trivia list. It was uh, a 1980s version of King Solomon's Mines, and I think that's the only thing where I've ever seen him as a good guy. <laughs> and it was just like, <laughs> but with this, it's like he he's the spider at a very intriguing web. Of no, granted, we don't know what you know each of those treads is fucking pulling on because we're just so obsessed with making the Daleks be as like spoopy evil as possible. Um, but like, I think that he's a he's a credible enough actor to pull off this performance. Yeah, you did get your Game of Thrones characters confused there now because you're talking about him being Littlefinger and then you're saying that he's a spider. Well, you know what I mean. It was like snap. The dominoes fall like a house of cards. Then checkmate. <laughs> um, yeah, no, he's he's someone who thinks he holds all the cards and is pulling all the strings. And to be honest, aside from the fact that they never could have known what the dialects were going to be like, that's true. Hmm. Do you know, he never could have known what the dialects would end up being like at the end. No, um, like how far they would go. And how many of them there would be. Mm. But like outside of that, he is the master manipulator of the whole thing. Uh, one thing though about this is that I just come just realized that oh yes, it is twenty twenty. Uh there like we've managed to like colonize 
hazardous planets. Yet for some reason we've managed to lose the fucking ability to set up CCTV. <laughs> <laughs> like because like he's radioing his guards going, what's going on? What's going on? Does your colony not have fucking security cameras? Do you know what that bit reminded me of? What? The Space Museum. Yes. And when your man was like, you know, barracks. Why yeah. is no one answering me? It's like get off your ass and go actually out and look, you fucker. Yeah, but like that's thing. Lobos was incompetent. This guy, like at least Bregan, was like a legitimate fucking threat to him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Um, like I, I would be. I think this is one of those stories where there's a secondary underlying threat that would have actually made him a very interesting story in and of itself. Like, would the story have been as, like, you know, maybe as good without the Daleks? Well, we, we don't know. Like, I think that we've seen, like, you know, kind of political intrigue stories in Doctor Who to kind of, you know, to realize that, wait, there's no, there's a good enough story here with good enough characters. But having the Daleks in it, I think Bregan would have been a great villain, like, just by himself, where he's a very good villain here. I think the Daleks just kind of overshine uh, him a small bit. Um,. But like I, it's a, it's actually a, it's I think it's a crime that Bernard Archer was only in two stories of Doctor Who, because yeah, I think he was meant to be in another one. I think at one point they offered him another one. Didn't we talk about that at one point? Oh, I can't remember. We've now done. This is our thirtieth one of these. <laughs> I can't yeah, I can't really, like there's so much trivia, but like in like almost like uh, the guy that played Mavic Chen, he appears later on in the invasion, and like he, again, he's just like they're so good that they should have had like more no I know you like you don't want to utilize the same actors over and over again but like back in the classic era like the fucking stories were so expensive apart you can get away with utilizing like the same actors over and over again yeah. uh so the Daleks the Daleks yes indeed um I do I, I just had a thought so when we were talking about um an adventure in space and time and mm. we were interviewing the guys from half measures Paul made a comment about the way you and I say Daleks. Yeah. And I I never asked him to clarify. So, Paul, if you're listening, what's wrong with the way Paddy and I say Daleks? Yeah, because it's not like we're like, we're Sidney Newman saying door locks. (laughs) 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 Uh, What's wrong with the way we speak? (laughs) Uh, So. Anyway, uh, the Daleks in this. I'm going to go on record, right? And I always say like that you know, each time we see a Dalek story, there's always a new layer to them and like, you know, there's like something new and like we get to see a new aspect of them. I am going to go on record and saying that this hands down is the best Dalek story yet. I will agree. We have I have said before, I'm not a big fan of the Daleks in general. Mm. Partially and this that's including like all of the ones I've watched after this. Right. So Yeah. All of the new Who stuff, all of like the Tom Baker stuff and whatever that I've seen. I've never been a big fan of the Daleks. I just don't find them threatening. I always thought they were a bit fucking boring and annoying, to be honest, was my general opinion of them. Mm. However, these Daleks interest me. They interest me because they're sneaky fuckers. Yeah. And like this kind of goes against what Terry Nation had said that he, he thought they were too, like, you know, nice or soft. Like, what this reminds me of, right? It reminds me of the 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 reboot series of Planet of the Apes, where like mm. uh, Koba uh, is like you know watching and learning and 
or even like Caesar and the others that are watching and learning everything that's going on. This is what's going on here. Like they're biding their time. They're like, like they're, it's, they play this so well that the minute a fourth Dalek appears, you're, you're like, fuck. The, the things are, things are going to be terrible. Things are actually going to be awful. And even the sequences where he's, uh, where the Dalek is watching Resno, it's like, I, I'm not comfortable. I am entirely not comfortable with everything that's going on. This is absolutely terrifying. This is like, like I love the Dalek. Like I, you know, the first Dalek story I enjoyed. I thought Dalek Invasion of Earth was fantastic. The chase was really good. It was a lot of fun. Dalek's Master Plan. It's an epic story. It has its high points and its low points, but it's still really, really cool. This though, this is a horror story featuring the Daleks, and they do it so well. This is very much sort of the aliens of Dalek stories I think this is entering I think into the the Philip Philip Hinchcliffe style of Doctor Who in terms of very hammer horror you know 50-60 sci-fi horror-esque type stuff I think one of the reasons why I like these Daleks so much is we've sort of said it before the Daleks are one note kind of by definition yeah Um, we will find out later how far that goes but the Daleks that we've seen so far, while the stories have been great, I'm not, I'm not doubting the stories, and you can go back and see what my scores were for all of those, but the Daleks themselves, as a villain, I yeah, I can take them or leave them. Um, but in this, I mean, it's the occasional slip-ups that he makes. Yeah. Or that it makes. You know, that gives away the fact that, you know, while all Daleks may look alike, that's just the casing. They don't yeah. have a hive mind. They're not connected to each other in any way. Um, they are individuals who just all happen to have the same ideals and they're on the same side. And you can tell that when, you know, if they were a hive mind, there there would never be a fuck up. No. It does fuck up. And like, you can just imagine, like, given the way the Daleks have been presented how much it must gall them that they had to say I obey yeah I am your servant like the fact that they are playing the humans at all because bear in mind he had no weapon when they first Mm. woke him up so he had to play the humans in order to even get his weapon back in order to get the power that he needed but you could imagine like inside that machine the little squid thing yeah and every time it has to say i obey or i am your servant i sort of imagine one of those tentacles kind of going just sort of twitching ever so slightly because like i hate i have to say this and like even at the end when it's like uh valmer is trying to like as he thinks reprogram the three dags to fight like there's like we will fight for you and it's like oh like there's so much like just gleeful malice behind that that phrase um like when we get like as you can tell like we're going to be approaching the overall there very soon so you'll get our scores on this but while yes uh, like the Daleks themselves never evolve unlike certain other recurring villains Mm. all we get to see is new aspects of Dalek society like um, or or just like Daleks on different scales of like in the invasion of Earth we saw the invasion force the chase it's a commando raiding force master plan we get to see we didn't get no, as I said, we didn't get to see enough of it, but we get to see a much more structured thing when it comes to Daleks 
Dalek expansionism. Here, though, this is like the absolute shrewd, cold, calculating, malicious, manipulative side of Daleks, and it's fantastic. Yeah. And like when I say, like I know that uh, for purposes of podcast, uh, yes, it's the latest story, and I'm saying, oh, it's the best one yet. I talk about everything I've seen afterwards, which we haven't covered on the podcast, and even on the new stuff. This is the best Dalek story that I have seen. Now, granted, I haven't seen some of them in about 10 years. That may change. But to date, this is the best Dalek story for everything that I've seen. I think at the moment for me, it's in the two position. You can probably guess which one is the one position. Absolutely. I haven't rewatched that other one in a while. So who knows when we get to it it may change but yeah this is you know of the ones we've watched so far it is definitely the best one of the ones i've seen in total mm. at the moment it's in the two spot but again i haven't rewatched the other one so i, I don't know it So, will we move on to our final scores? Indeed, indeed. So, we always finish off our review with an overall comment, overall comments, and then a score out of five. Mm-hmm. For me, with this, it's such a good story. It's such a good story. Um, the thing that I loved from the off, right? And if you're a fan of the um, 2005 onwards, run of Doctor Who so new who modern who whatever you want to call it the start of this is very reminiscent of that because at the start we get a couple of things that are just quintessential Daleks and Doctor Who and the good things I like about Daleks and Doctor Who which is the idea that one Dalek alone is very very dangerous yeah now the doctor was probably hinting at one dalek alone can go out and kill loads of other people that may have been the inclination but one dalek alone managed to get power for everybody managed to get this everything they needed to get their system up and running was one dalek and that 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 idea to put in that in like you've got your first story for this new doctor and to put in the idea that to him one Dalek one plunger and egg whisk machine is very dangerous. I think that was brilliantly executed. It's something that comes back again and again and again and again in who right up until like I mean, we're recording this in January of twenty twenty one. The New Year's special that just passed hmm. started by one, one down. Dalek, Dalek, which is brilliant. Um, the other thing that I loved that really added to this was they recognized the Doctor in his new form. Hmm. That, I was like, holy shit. How do they recognize? How like They know who he is. I'm like, that, again, building all these breadcrumbs going forward. Um, the trio of Doc, Pat, Polly and Ben they had some great interactions some really funny moments I'm really looking forward to this trio going forward you know I think they had an interesting relationship with Doc Bill 
Mm-hmm. But I don't think we ever really got to explore it as much as we would have wanted to because it was usually him by himself and then the two of them yeah. off on their own. Um, so I'm looking forward to the three of them together. The, the thing for me, though, with this is the story was creepy. It was creepy as fuck. <laughs> and like the cliffhanger with the addition of the Daleks in the production line. Yeah. Like, can you imagine if that was your cliffhanger you had to wait another week? Hmm. to see what was going to happen oh it was done so good the only deduction for me right because yeah. i've been saying how great it is the only deduction for me is the motivation behind the human storyline so like bragan is fine him i can leave he was done really well but like why are the rebels rebelling <laughs> <laughs> why does Quinn feel like he has to go behind Hensel's back? This stuff was missing for me. And it's a six episode story. Yeah. So you could have put more in there. But that for me, it's just, it's that small knock that stops it from being perfect. So yeah. for me, it's a 4.75. I have to take something off for it because it did bother me. Yeah. But like, it's a smidge so uh, after i initially watched this i was like this is an absolute five out of five story it's great because what i did was i watched it because like i i got the dvds for christmas and i was really excited to see like a, an actual animation done like a full thing and i was like okay i'm gonna watch it and i was like oh this is five for five like i'm creeped out like i'm into it the whole lot um and like it's like my my notes are basically if we're into a new doctor a new era with a new doctor and a new layer to the Daleks uh, like, which is something again it's not easy to do when you're using the same villain multiple times but like it's an absolute like fantastic new addition to them um, David Whitaker like he's nailed a, an absolute another classic in my eyes he's a fantastic writer he's just done so well here um, and Dennis Spooner who also obviously contributed the final oh yeah, version and yeah the, the final version of it uh, as you said creepy fucking atmosphere now I know that the animation probably emphasised some aspects of it a bit more like uh, when the Dalek um, mutant scuttles along the floor the animation probably would have made that look maybe, maybe made that look cooler than the actual live action thing but Christopher Barry we've seen enough of his camera direction on surviving stories to know just how good of a director he is that I would have faith that it would just be as good, you know? Yeah. Uh, Troughton, he's off to a fantastic start because he cemented himself as a, uh, with enough differences from Hartnell that he's carrying on the legacy of a fantastic performance by a great actor in the role, but he's also separating himself as well. So you can actually, you, you're not going to kind of go, oh, he's way better than William Hartnell ever was. Like, you know, he's way, because, but it's different because they each have two different personas and two different aspects and all this type of stuff. Now you can prefer one over the other, but that's not to knock the, the work of the other one, you know? Yeah. Um, but like yourself, upon further reflection, when I sat down to go through my notes, I was like, cool. The Daleks, you know, the whole thing. But what the fuck are the humans fighting about? Like, what is going on? Is it literally a case of we want more chicken penny arabiata in the canteen? <laughs> that that type of stuff. No, it's probably not. There's probably a bit more political stuff to it. But like, 
why are the rebels fighting? Like, you know, why can't the rebels and the, the guards get along? And, you know, like, what, just like, what's going on here? And so, yeah, I had to knock it from a 5.5 to a 4.75 because of... I feel bad, though. No, well, like, no, like, I'm, like, it's... Like, we can't overlook bad plot points just because we love something, you know? And, like, we can't really, like... We, okay, we discussed the Romans, okay? And the Romans for us was a five out of five. Despite something that, it had an aspect of something that we had been giving out about for other stories in terms of, like, the Nero's weird kind of, you know, sex pest thing with Barbara versus, like, the more rapey side of things with the Reign of Terror Jailer and Vassor in Marinus. And I actually had a discussion with this about someone recently enough and he kind of was on board with what we were saying. Uh, but like that was like one character aspect that didn't lend itself to the overall plot and we kind of rationalized that in terms of characteristics and how it helped build the characters and things like that so that was a 5 out of 5 with that here we have again a story that we both really like but unfortunately there's a plot element in it that it's missing that would make the stakes a bit more and make character actions a bit more understandable so we kind of have to penalize it for that a small bit but like a 4.75 is a fantastic score for any Doctor Who story. And like I'll like, you know, I have some stories that I love watching, absolutely adore watching, but there's still fucking flaws in them, you know? Uh be it be it be it lent or whatever. Yeah, I'm gonna jump the timeline a little bit. I'm gonna take several hops and skips up the timeline. For a first story of a new doctor, I think this is probably my favorite uh first story of a new doctor yeah no i i'd agree i like i'm just trying to think now i'm just thinking back now of everyone's first and coming story this is probably the best new story i haven't seen all of them but of the ones i've seen i think this no. is the strongest story and first doctor i think like like story and first visual of the doctor i think was was very very good so that is it uh for this week guys yeah, that brings us to the end of our Patrick Troughton first story. Uh, join us next week when we'll be journeying to Scotland in 1746 in The Highlanders. Ooh. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>